Welcome to Thriller Vault, where thriller writers tell their favorite stories. I'm your host, Phil Williams, and today I have a special story for you, a scary story by Ted Galdi. Now, Ted Galdi is an Amazon number one best-selling author of suspenseful crime thrillers. He's been featured by Kirkus Magazine, ABC, Fox, iHeartRadio, and many other media outlets. He's a winner of a Reader Views Reviewer's Choice Award and a silver medal in the Reader's Favorite Book Awards. To learn more about him and to download a free best-selling crime thriller, check out his website at tedgaldi.com. Without further ado, let's get into the story. A Road to Nowhere Justin Daggle thinks this is a bad idea. He can't stop. He has somewhere to be. But she's alone and attractive. A realization that firms up more with each revolution the wheels of his Dodge Ram pickup make in her direction. The contours of her figure and characteristics of her face revealing more of themselves in the moonlight. His truck, the only visible vehicle on this stretch of southern Montana's Pronghorn Highway, slows from the steady 75 miles per hour it's been doing since he left home and rolls toward the girl on the shoulder. Once stopped, he gets an even better look at her, fixed in the frame of the front passenger window. He lowers it, the 48-degree, mountainy atmosphere rushing into the truck, specked with the scents of the surrounding Douglas firs and spruces. An anxious expression cowers under her eyeglasses. Evening, ma'am, he says, though ma'am isn't quite fitting. The girl, about a dozen years his junior, 25-ish to his 37. You all right? Her head offers him a polite nod and assent. Then she folds her arms over her chest, the material of her fashionably sheeny, definitely pricey vest puffing around them. What are you doing out here, if you don't mind me asking? I'm camping. She pats the brand new backpack on her shoulders. Well, was camping is more like it. She takes a long, pained breath, as if fighting off a weeping fit. Justin looks around. Nothing to her left or right but the serpentining black asphalt of the state highway. Nothing behind her but the midnight shadows blackening the forest between trees. Nothing ahead of her but him. Camping by yourself? he asks. She glances north, up the vacant road. I'm fine, really. Pardon my being nosy, but you don't seem fine. It's late. You're all alone and there isn't a town for forty-odd miles. Nothing but woods. What's a young lady like you doing in a situation like that? I, well, I wasn't alone. I was out here with my boyfriend. She peeks north again. We got into a fight. Another fight. Before he even set up the tent, he got angry and just drove off. He abandoned you? She doesn't respond just stares at him, her blue eyes glazed with detached contemplation. Is he a lunatic or just dumb? Justin asks, a shred of bitterness in his voice. He'll be back. He told you that? He's dramatic. Was just making a point. I'm sure he regretted it. And is coming back. He probably tried calling, but my phone is dead. He drums his fingers against the steering wheel the rural silence ever so slightly fractured by the d their didapt. You can't just risk it. Not out here. Not at this hour. 
He leans to his right, yanks the handle of the passenger door, then shoves it open. Come on, get in. I'll give you a ride to Bozeman. There are motels there you can spend the night in. She stares at the metal slab, slightly oscillating on its pivot, burning off the last of the force from his push. Thank you, but I can't. He'll be back. Maybe he will, to dapt. But maybe he won't, to dapt. Then what? Her eye line tilts upward, just above the cab of his truck, aimed at the Absaroka mountain range wrapping them, its dark ridges of extrusive rocks sloping and splintering against the night sky at distant points almost seeming one with it. She sighs and says, Again, thank you. It's tempting to get out of the cold, but I really can't. You're not from around here, are you? He asks, scanning her camping chic outfit from toe to head. It's that obvious? She grins. So does he. It's not the cold you should be worried about. Forties at night are warm for these parts. It's the wolves. You don't want to be one's late night snack, do you? The grin on her face vanishes. I didn't mean to scare you. I'm just being honest. You can get hurt out here. I can't believe he put me in this position. I don't mean to pry, but you seem like the sweetest person, and I can't even imagine how you ended up with a bonehead like this guy. If I were you, I wouldn't even talk to him. Not tonight, not ever again. But, like I said, not trying to pry. I just want to make sure you get through the night safe. She looks down at the long grass curling around her new hiking boots for a few seconds, then up at him and asks, Can I be honest with you? Of course. Have you watched the news at all this week? Some. Why? You heard what's been going on, haven't you? What? Like something in Washington? I'm not one for politics. Those lying sons of bitches in Congress are... No, in Montana, Missoula, Helena, Lewistown. He doesn't say anything for five seconds, then asks, You mean... that guy? She nods. He's hushed for another couple seconds, then points at himself. You don't think. She shrugs, her cutely scooped nose scrunching beneath the bridge of her glasses. I'm sure you can understand why I wouldn't want to just get in the car of a man I don't know. No offense to you personally. He laughs. So you think I'm a serial killer? A moment. Of course not. You seem like a nice guy. And I know you're just trying to help, but those news stories really creep me out. The way they found the three bodies with the writing on their foreheads and red lipstick, it's just, uh, I don't know. The whole thing terrifies me. I don't want to take any chances. It's not personal. Whoever he is, he's doing what he's doing up north. Nowhere near here. True, but he can travel. There's a chance, and yes... If I were you, there's a chance any man out there could be this guy, me included. The police know nothing about the killer. I'm not taking it personally, but let me ask you this. We'll say he did come south, and he is looking for his next victim in this very same area. If that were the case, and he could be any man at all, you're a lot more exposed to a lot more men standing out here where any could drive by and attack you, versus getting inside a truck where you're exposed to just one, the odds are more in your favor that way. 
You see what I'm saying? An expression winds onto her face. That's two parts agreement, one part agitation. She seems in agreement with his logic, yet agitated at herself for arriving at that conclusion. How long? Till what? Till you can get me to a motel. A smile spreads across his beard-stubbled face. Half hour. She peers at the wilderness around her a bit longer, then runs a hand through her wavy hair and takes short tentative steps toward the open car door. Her 110-pound body settles into the passenger seat. She closes the door. He locks it with the driver's side control, then presses another button to raise her window. Once it closes, they're sealed off from the briskness of the weather and the scent of the trees, her vast skied surroundings from just a moment ago shrinking to the confines of the cab. I'm Justin, by the way, he says, extending his right hand toward her. She glimpses his beefy paw spotted with calluses and nicks of manual labor. She meets it with her delicate, cherry nail polished grip and says, Fiona. Pleasure. Fiona studies his face, an oval-shaped display of slightly below-average looks bordered on top by a slackened green baseball cap and on the bottom by a thick, solid neck, while he studies her, high-cheekboned and well higher than the norm in sex appeal, which he feels is accentuated even more by the eyeglasses, giving off an intellectual air that declares she's better than people like him, working people. This implied superiority turns him on. He removes his foot from the brake and the pickup heads north at a crawl. As he leans on the gas, the speed goes up, yet he doesn't take it to the 75 he was doing before, topping out around 50. A slow cruise on a road as empty as this, especially one known through the county to rarely attract traffic cops. Mind if I borrow your phone charger? I wouldn't at all. Problem is, the one I kept in here broke biting her lip. She removes her backpack and sets it on the dirt crevice rubber mat at her feet. Once the jingle of the pull tabs of her bag's zippers calm, the cab is quiet other than the drone of the ram's engine. Between them on the center console is a bag of his, not a closable backpack like hers, but a burlap sack, the kind you'd put potatoes in. She focuses on it. A protrusion indicates something is inside but from the outside it's impossible to tell what. Only slivers of space exist between the bag's droopy top folds, each consumed with shadow. So, what do you do? She looks up from the sack. I'm in project management for a solar energy company in Billings. You got to go to college for that? Yeah. You must be pretty smart then. Fiona chuckles humbly. I'm no genius. I just try to do the best I can. Solar energy. That's when you take the rays of the sun and you turn them into, like, what gasoline is, isn't it? Don't be all modest. That's got to be hard shit. Her mouth is occupied by a clearly affected grin. She shows it to him for about three seconds, then, unho then unhooks it, her face returning to its default tightness. She slightly angles her back to him gazing out the passenger window at the purplish-gray wedge of moon presiding over the night's net of dark clouds. I'm a logger. Oh, that's interesting. Not really. A moment. I like being outdoors. Let's me do that. Which ain't a bad thing. We have that in common. We have what in common? 
like in the outdoors I'm just assuming because you're on a camping trip and all well we're on a camping trip oh yeah I don't go camping a lot but sure when I go I enjoy it he signals backward with his head toward the bed of the truck that's what I'm doing out here too camping she peeks out the cab's rear window at the bed where a rolled sleeping bag is sandwiched among a mess of other gear rakes rope cardboard boxes saws a tarp Fiona holds her attention on the heap for a while the moonlight illuminating just enough of it to reveal detail her focus shifts from the gear to the silver walling of the bed she seems to notice something on it Justin glimpses her noting the direction she's looking he knows what caught her eye that ramoon splotch on the metal wall near the back right wheel what are you looking at he asks though he knows the answer nothing she snaps back around you were looking at something there's a lot of stuff back there you can tell me what got your attention no really I was just sort of checking it all out nothing in particular he chuckles I won't get mad at you honest just looking around that's it the red spot right he grips the wheel with both hands gradually shifting them as the truck deepens into a hairpin turn when it emerges 180 degrees in the opposite direction the new view of the horizon brings with it a farther reaching look at the pronghorn highway for the multiple visible miles ahead northbound and southbound not a single other vehicle is present nor a street sign or power line or any man-made structure no hint of humanity's footprint on this planet his left hand holds the wheel at its base the fingers of his right tapping the top to adapt to adapt you saw the red spot didn't you there's a lot of stuff back there i'm not sure what you're referring to he chuckles louder this time than last remember before you got into the car you asked me if you could be honest with me right before you told me you were afraid of that man who's been on the news what did i tell you then i said of course you were honest with me then and you can be now no need to lie you saw the red spot didn't you her head is still for a bit then breaks into a compact nod that wasn't so hard was it he asks you know what it is the spot dirt dirt isn't red come on you can do better than that a smart college gal like you try again i really i don't have a clue is there some music we can put on i would don't change the subject i want to finish this i want to tell you what it is you were honest with me and i owe you the same i'll be honest with you but first one more guess she takes a long breath paint blood her blue eyes swell slightly against their lids blinkless they stare at the horizontal groove along the glove box door as he traverses the long straightaway the rock faces on both their sides steepen and heighten enclosing the vehicle in a vertiginous shoot between muscular evergreen and aspen trees he glimpses her face gauging her reaction to his admission he waits about 10 seconds then says i'm just messing with you her expression doesn't respond to this comment instead stays frozen as is fixated on the glove box He lets out a laugh, quick and throaty, almost like a croak. You hear me? She doesn't look at him. I'm just joking. A moment. I heard you. 
Well, sort of joking. See, that back there is blood, but not the kind inside you or me. Elk blood. I hunt. No reaction for her. It was a bad joke. Sorry. His grip tightens on the steering wheel, a subtle grimace to his face. His glance shifts from her to the cab's ceiling and, as if he were more addressing himself than her, says, That was stupid. Sometimes I can be so effing stupid. She gazes at his knuckles, which tense a bit tighter along the wheel. In a voice attempting to sound soothing, she says, It's fine. I'm fine. Elk blood. I get it now. My mom always tells me my jokes ain't any good. She says their content isn't bad, but I get the timing all wrong, whatever that means. I just figured you weren't much of a hunter and thought the blood was something it wasn't. I assumed I'd make you laugh if I played it up before telling you the truth, but I probably just scared you. Why wouldn't you think I hunt? He laughs, then swallows a big gob of spit that's been accreting in his mouth. You? Look at you. Come on. Theoretically, a girl could like hunting just as much as any guy. He scratches a patch of stubble on his throat with the nail of his index finger. In keeping with our spirit of honesty, I gotta admit, I don't know many girls. So I guess I'm no expert in what they're into or not recreationally. Well, there's my mom. I live with her. I know what she likes. Not my ideal situation rooming with her, but she sort of needs me around to take care of her. She eats up a lot of my time. Makes dating hard. I'm single, as I'm sure you already knew. You probably looked at my hand to see if there was a ring on it. Did you do that? No, not specifically. Well, I did it to you. I always do that when I meet women. I always look. Just a habit, really. Curiosity. Not like I want to have sex with all of them or anything. In a little voice, she slips out. Makes sense. Like I was saying, I don't date much on account of my mother and her condition. And there ain't too many females in the logging industry. So I don't really know enough women to know how common or uncommon hunting is among them. It's barbaric if you ask me. His eyes lift a bit. He inches the burlap sack between them a little closer to him. No offense though, I'm not trying to be rude. See, I was right about you. You ain't no hunter. Let me ask you this. You eat steak, right? Chicken? Somebody, somewhere is killing that animal. It's, what's the word? People are hypochondriacs if they eat meat and talk down on hunting. Hypocrites. Huh? The word, it's hypocrite. Oh, right. Well, hypocrites then. I'm not opposed necessarily to animals being used for food, but hunting nowadays, mostly, has no purpose. It's not for food like it was in earlier times. Shooting something and watching the life go out of it, just to do it, something that has parents, siblings, and feelings. He considers her statement as the ram rides the top curve of an S-shaped portion of road. See, you got it backwards. You're making it seem like those earlier times are not important anymore, that we should be all evolved from that by now. But that's where you're wrong. I go hunting. People go hunting. Because those earlier times are still in us. The way we live now, with all the technology and foods made in laboratories and all that, it ain't natural. Most of the time, we humans been here on Earth. We hunted for our food. That's still in us. It's in me. 
You don't just turn that off, you understand? She stares into his face for a moment, then rotates her neck, moving her attention out the window. The thicket of trees on the passenger side of the car ends, replaced by a vacuous darkness as the road's eastern rim butts against a cliff without a guardrail. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's a male thing. It's certainly not in me. I can't say the same about my boyfriend, though. It's not animals he hunts. It's other women. What do you mean? Oh, you know, a wandering eye. I've caught him twice before and took him back. That's what the fight was about tonight. That's what the fight's about every time. I never understood it. He has me. What does he need another girl for? Maybe it's not supposed to be rational. Maybe it's just the caveman brain still inside him, urging him to spread his genes as far and wide as he can, which of course isn't a practical way of living in modern society. Justin removes his eyes from the road and scans Fiona from the thighs up. His gaze stops on her breasts, their full C-cup shape evident from the raised portion of flannel shirt exposed between her halfway zipped vest. She notices him leering, points ahead and says, Watch, it gets narrow up here. He stops ogling her, taking a deep breath as he refocuses on the road. I don't like this boyfriend fellow of yours. If you were my girlfriend, I'd treat you right. What I don't understand is why women always tend to go for men like him and give them second chances. And guys like me find it so doggone difficult sometimes to even get a first chance. Especially with a girl like you. Why is that? Something inside you makes you like him better because you know he's out there with other women. Even if you're mad at him and you hate him for it, does it make you secretly like him more? Is that how it works? How it always seems to work from my view, ever since high school? It was guys like your boyfriend that could always do wrong, but do no wrong at the same time. You explain that to me. She glances at his knuckles, flecks of dove white on their skin from the strength of his grasp on the wheel. That's a good question, but I don't think I can answer it. I don't know why I give him more chances. I really don't know. A silhouette streaks across the highway, a sinuous body with four limbs and a tail. Jesus, Justin blurts, cranking the wheel to the left, attempting to avert a collision with the shadowy being. The ram swerves into the southbound lane. The animal whizzes past, and Justin returns to his path. Thing came out of nowhere, he mutters. His burlap bag from the jostling of the car has slumped to its side. Something now peeks out the top, cylindrical, a slight shine to it. Fiona gazes at it. She reaches toward it. Before she makes contact with the bag or anything in it, Justin clamps her wrist with his hand. What are you doing? I, uh, your bag, it tipped, and I was just going to move it for you before anything fell out. He lets go of her, then straightens the sack himself, none of its contents now visible. I didn't mean to startle you. Sorry if I grabbed you a little too tight. It's just, I don't want you going through there. She moves her now free hand to her chest, her arms crossing over it. Why? What's in there? Nothing you need to know about. What about our spirit of honesty? He says nothing. His tongue mashes against the interior of his bottom lip, its outline bulging under his skin. It's illegal. What is? What's in the bag? She glances at its webbed, tan canvas, 
and the traces of the dark recesses between their folds. I'm not a cop. Of course you're not a cop. You don't look like a cop. I wouldn't have picked you up if I thought you were. Not with this in here. But a college gal like you? Project manager? Nah. You wouldn't like what's in here. Try me. The way she says this, saucily, excites him. He doesn't get an erection, but feels a spurt of blood pump through his penis. He subtly adjusts the way he's sitting, widening his legs, some to give himself room to grow even more without friction from the coarse denim of his jeans. Remember how I said I was a logger? He asks. She nods. Well, I got laid off today. I drove out here to camp to clear my head. No better aid to do that than with mushrooms. That's what's in there? Shrooms? A bunch of them. I went to college in Colorado. Shrooms were practically our version of beer. I love them. My boyfriend brought some out. We were going to do them later and look up at the stars. He lets out that croaky laugh of his again. No shit? Yes shit. She grins. This is ideal, he thinks. I have an idea. About three miles up, there's a clearing on the side of the road. I can park. We'll eat some of them and you'll get your chance to trip out over the stars after all. He notices her lips, purse, and a sign of reservation. I'm not going to camp out with you. Of course, I'm not suggesting you spend the night with me. You just met me, and you have a boyfriend. All I'm saying is we take a little pit stop. Chill out for maybe an hour, enjoy the view, then I'll take you the rest of the way into Bozeman. Drop you right off at a great motel I know. Her pucker of pursed lips travels horizontally across her face, outside her left nostril to outside her right. I did have the hell of a night. I wouldn't mind getting out of my head for a little, but I'm really not sure. So close, he thinks. This is his chance. Absolutely. You need to get out of that pretty little head. You were stranded in the middle of the woods, then got into a car with a strange man. He chuckles. And had to put up with his bad jokes. You definitely deserve to get a little up. He gives the ram a bit more gas, the truck zooming up to 80. It's just up the road. What do you say? She doesn't reply affirmatively or negatively, granting him nothing more than a pensive face silence. She seems to be thinking harder now than in, at any other time of the ride. They go a mile. In his bread basket is an excited twitch a similar one less than a foot beneath in his crotch. The road zigs, then zags, and soon the clearing he mentioned is visible hugging its western edge. Sure, let's do it. Excellent. Cool. It's really good stuff, too. Can I look at it? She asks, nodding down at the burlap sack. Don't get antsy. You'll see it soon enough. They navigate the dusty blacktop until the ram is adjacent to the wild, grassed clearing. With a jab of the wheel, he breaks off the pavement onto the uneven terrain, Fiona's tiny body shaking a touch from the bumpiness. He goes a few dozen feet, parking by a span of trees gating the forested hills. He collects the canvas bag and cuts the engine. He secures the keys in the front pocket of his jeans, then climbs into the night. In his periphery, he spots Fiona exiting with her backpack. Leaning against the hood of the ram, she looks around, at the length of the viewable road, the green field they stand on, the nothingness over the edge of the eastern cliff. Come on, Justin says, gesturing toward the forest. Where are you going? 
The woods. This way. Why are you going in the woods? Other cars could see us from here. Do you want to have a handful of shrooms when a police officer drives by? Look at how much road you can see on either side from here. We'd spot the headlights coming over a mile away. Plenty of time to hide the bag in the grass. He surveys the highway. Maybe, but it's still a gamble. Not to mention, the view of the stars will be way better if we hiked uphill just a little. Follow me. A moment. She looks behind herself once more, then puts her backpack on and follows Justin into the woods. Punctuating the quiet are animal noises, the scamper of claws, and the occasional call. He approaches the imposing dark barks of 50-foot-tall trees, slipping between two into the box of forest. Peering over his shoulder, he notices her tailing him, her face with an exuberance on it he had yet to see. The fragrance of pine needles dominates their surroundings, yet with a dash of something else mixed in, a berry-like sweetness. A little higher, he calls out, his boot finding footing on the hard-packed dirt of an incline. You doing all right? Fine. He leads her farther up the mountain, the view of the ram and that of the highway, now fully obscured by the greens, browns, and blacks of the timberland. As he promised, the vista of the stars up here is phenomenal, a fluorescent swirl of them layering the heavens overhead between the cone-like crowns of trees set slightly asway by the gently brisk breeze. He turns around, his eyes meeting hers, the starlight showcasing the flawlessness of her youthful complexion. Clutching the burlap bag with his left hand, he dips his right inside. In a couple seconds, he unearths a cylindrical, clear plastic case of mushrooms. Carefully, he begins removing the lid. Just before he gets it off, an overwhelming sensation commands his torso. The mushrooms plummet from his possession, banging the toe of his boot and spilling into the dirt. Near his belly button, he notices Fiona's hand balled into a fist, its grip a black handle, jutting from it the blade of a hunting knife, the top 80% of it hidden inside his guts, which pour a stream of blood onto his denim lap that gradually swells like a little boy's piss stain. His brain, fast losing blood and sense, decides to search her eyes for some sort of an answer, an explanation. He doesn't understand. He didn't threaten her, nor did he plan to. He just wanted to watch the stars with her, talk to her. And if he were lucky, maybe kiss her. That was all. However, in her eyes, he finds no signs toward comprehension. Fear of him isn't inside them. They hold nothing at all beside a lukewarm sense of duty, the expression of some factory employee trying to finish a task without making a mistake. She turns the blade, windmilling a flat, dense pain through his entire chest cavity. He screams, but the sound emitted from his weakening body is nothing more than a half cough. She yanks the knife from his stomach, and he sinks to one knee, then the other. In this doubly knelt position, his eyeballs and mouth fluttering, he has the bearing of a zealot engaging in some cultist worship ritual at the foot of a temple. The joints in his knees give out, and the weight of his upper body topples him backward. The beauty of the stars populating the quaking sense of sight his spasming eyeballs provide him. He hears her footsteps and the opening of a zipper on her backpack. He turns his head to see her, 
blood trickling up his esophagus and out of his mouth onto the crinkly dry leaves beneath his cheek. She pulls something from her bag. It's small, and it glints a bit in the starlight. As she nears him with it, he discerns it. Lipstick. She twists its base, a red mound rising from the top. She straddles him, her fit feminine legs warm and tight around his hips. She lowers the lipstick to his forehead. He can feel her riding a four with it on his skin. Over the last week, the three victims the Montana serial killer executed had a one, two, and a number three on their foreheads in the same color lipstick when their corpses were found. The serial killer puts the blade to Justin's throat and with a final slash, gives the world her fourth man. That's it. Thank you for listening to Thriller Vault. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and we will have another story next week. 